Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 2137. All right. Hi, this is Christina, and I'm going to read the Higher Summits forecast for you for tomorrow, Friday, October 27th. I can't believe it's almost November. Um, in and out of the clouds under partly sunny skies, slight chance of rain showers, highs in the upper 40s. Winds 30 to 45 miles an hour, increasing to 45 to 60 miles an hour with gusts of up to 65 mile an hour winds. Friday night in the clouds with isolated rain showers. You probably don't want to go up Friday night. Lower 40s. Winds 45 to 60 miles an hour, increasing to 50 to 70 miles an hour with gusts up to 80 miles an hour. Mount Washington must be eating beans on Friday. Wind chill falling to 20 to 30 above. Saturday, in the clouds in the morning, trending towards in and out of the clouds by the afternoon. Might get some undercast, along with some isolated rain showers becoming scattered by the afternoon. Highs in the mid-40s, falling to the lower 30s by sunset. Get your butts up there for midday. Winds 50 to 70 mile an hour, with gusts up to 80 miles an hour early. Bring your umbrellas, increasing to 60 to 80 mile an hour, with gusts up to 95 miles an hour. You may want to bring a paraglider to get down. Wind chill rising 25 to 35 above in the morning, falling to 10 to 20 above by late in the afternoon. Guys, you might just want to stay low this weekend. From the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Hi. 
All right, Stomp and Christina, we are on episode 127. Christina, I feel like you're the like, most... 127, yeah. I feel like you're the most frequent guest that we've had on. Is this like three or four times for you? It might be. I guess I am a frequent flyer, but Stomp is a frequent flyer with the races, so we got like a little thing yes. going. True, true. Welcome back. Scratching each other's backs. Yeah, I think true. it's three times now, Christina. Yeah. Yeah, I think you and Rebecca and uh, Lynn are right up there, so good, good times. <laughs> Are you ready for Halloween stomp? Yes. Oh, yes, I am. Absolutely. We are planning a, uh, a, a moonrise hike for the weekend, and that should be really nice. I think it's the harvest moon. Is that what they call it this time around? I think so. It's full, though. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. And the weather's looking good until Saturday, uh, Sunday afternoon, I think. Yeah. Are you uh, wearing a costume when you hike? No, no, no. I've got that perpetual, um, what is it? Uh, what's it? Oh, God, it's draw- I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, breaking man. Bad Luck. No, the the Breaking Bad Luck. I've got that whole uh, look going on there. I forget the actor's name. The bald guy with the goatee. So I really don't need a, I really don't need a costume, really. I mean, I've got a bunch of costumes if you want one. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, you're perfect for this show. How about you, Mike? You, do you dress up? I don't. I don't do the costume stuff. Matter of fact, I need. I'm going the opposite. I have like a, a on the fancier side dinner party on Saturday night that I have to go to. Oh, cool! So I have to get like a sports jacket and like the button up shirt and look look a little bit put together, which is going to be weird for me because usually I'm like <laughs> flannel shirt or like a sweatshirt for work so i gotta go i gotta go up into my closet and see what i have available so well, it's like a costume. that's more difficult than yeah it is like a car co- it's more difficult for me i'd rather get a costume than have to dress up it's hard yeah and that's just what people see on the the upper part of your body you're always wearing like boxers underneath right Virtually. well i wear shorts I, i'm i'm not i don't want to horrify my wife or family so okay. anyway all right so uh welcome to episode 127 of the sounds like a search and rescue podcast this week our friend christina Folchik of white mountain endurance coaching and ara viper running did i get that right yeah Ara viper yeah all yeah, right, you I banged that. that out, man. Yeah. All right. So nice Christina work. is back to give us a preview of her new book, Never Trust a Fart. So if you're a runner, you you, you already know, but Christina will talk about the background of writing the book and will share how you can check it out. I even have a story about not trusting a fart. I'm, I'm trying to decide whether or not I share with it because it's a little embarrassing. But anyway, also this week, Halloween is here. So we'll revisit some spooky White Mountain topics. We're going to review some hiking news uh, and then review recent search and rescue news, including a discussion about an extremely difficult sounding nighttime rescue that happened on Huntington Ravine last weekend. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. This is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a 501c3 nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. 
We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. Consider doubling up on your socks to prevent friction from your skin to the sock. A thin synthetic layer under a wool or wool blend will help to prevent blisters and wick moisture away from your feet. Okay, very good, very good. So, Stomp, starting off, we've got wild animal news here. We've got a moose on the loose. <laughs> what is this all about? Well, yeah, apparently this was um, coming out of uh, Ludlow, Massachusetts. There was a moose sighting, and a moose from the backyard of the Overhead Door Company will help with the Massachusetts division of... I don't know what that's all about, but anyway... Um, Staff relocated a female moose from the backyard of this company in Ludlow. And uh, I guess they're um, not too common down there, but apparently this giant moose uh, needed a little rescue and redirection out of this uh, backyard. Yeah, I don't know where Ludlow, Mass is. Um, I feel like it's like Central Mass. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. Oh, it's by Springfield. So, okay. So, there's a corridor. So, you, you definitely, Mr. Moose could get down there and make its way down to like Central States Trail and stuff like that. So, good stuff. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, but that's a that's a pretty rare uh, occurrence. You don't really hear too many moose story coming out of Mass. Yeah, it's by Springfield. So, it's... Gotcha. You know, it's not a, it's not super rural out there. It's so... Anyway, mm-hmm. glad that the moose had an adventure. Hopefully, it's safe again. <laughs> uh, Stomp, I got a lot of feedback from different people sending me messages about Rusty last week. We did yeah, the, climbing, uh, the climbing segment. I got a couple of people that had said that listening to the episode pushed them to finally make the decision to get into the climbing gym. I got like two people that sent me messages, and they were like, yeah. well... After listening to that, I'm like totally motivated to get into the climbing gym, and I've been hesitant, but now I'm 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 into it. Yeah, and I have to tell you, I I'm in that category as well. Um, I've always been a little hesitant to try it, and uh, now I think I'm a little more open to it. But I definitely think that having a guide or a mentor is the way to go, without a, without a doubt. But um, yeah, great feedback. I think that was a really fun episode. Um, Christina, you're a climber, right? I am. Don't That's do as much so how long have you yeah yeah well you've got other things going on i do <laughs> two feet on the ground so when did you get into climbing oh my gosh i, I don't even know early 2000s i took a um i actually bought a climbing rack and then took climbing lessons with mark chauvin up in new hampshire not knowing what i'm doing and he looked at me and he goes mm-hmm. i'm not even showing you how to use these things you need to learn how to climb first so we went yeah. back to the basics and just really fell in love with it and then took it to mountaineering and climbing a bunch of big mountains and a lot of the crags in New Hampshire, New England. Okay, so I think the first time I, I became aware of you was that famous photo shoot you did up on the Eaglet, which is up by the Watcher in Franconia Notch. And I think um, the listeners might be interested to get the deep dive on that from you because uh, the pictures you, you got out of that, were amazing, but I'm really curious about the whole climbing aspect of it. What uh, can you tell us about that whole experience? 
Yeah, it's super cool. So um, kind of a little backstory on the photographer that was there. Jay Philbrick takes girls and puts them in dresses and puts them in precarious locations. And uh, he has like <laughs> real models, but sometimes they don't want to do things. So I was always his like backup model um, with no experience. It was just for fun. So my one of my friends and I went to climb um, the eaglet and we got almost to the top and it started pouring rain and made a good choice to just bail. We were like, whatever. But I saw it for the first time. And I'm like, this thing is amazing. So had snapped a picture and then I sent a picture of that to Jay because like the week before he posted this picture of one of his models in this amazing parachute dress. I'm like, dude, you need to put that dress on a girl on top of this spire. And he's like, you're the only one that'll be able to climb up there. He goes, if you want it, it's yours. So um, he did a mm. ton of scouting, um, hiked up there a bunch to get like the perfect location. And we picked a date in October and made the uh, trek up there, not knowing what to expect. But Mark Chauvin, who is the person that taught me how to climb, he was the one that did all the safety stuff and led that climb and then um, also talked me into sleeping in this little hole in the side of the spire, which was wild because I'm like laying there with my head peeking out of the hole, looking at the traffic down below all night, but got an early... Oh yeah, it's a neat spot. It, it was amazing. Early start and, you know, had to get dressed up there and of course didn't realize I'm standing there naked while there's people climbing the wall next to me and they're waving at me. I'm like, oh, hey. Need <laughs> <laughs> <Made> their day. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> so wait a minute. Did you get dressed on the top of the eaglet? I did. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah. So like trying to wrangle it. <laughs> yeah. And just for the listeners. So the eaglet is, we've talked about this before. It's like a spire. Uh, like a, It's like a column of, of rock that's right below the watcher. It's across from Cannon Cliffs. And essentially, like it's, it's, we talked about the watcher and stuff like that. So you climb up this spire. And what Christine is doing is she switched into a dress that is, she, she, you called it a parachute it's dress. It's made of a I parachute. Like an, it's, yeah, it's, made, it's like a huge wow. trailing dress. But I, it's sort of like when the wind catches it, it almost looks like a, a dragon's wing. Is though it's got like these veins coming out of it and stuff, so it's really cool. But like, are you are you like on a on a rope when you're there, or are you just free free standing on that? God no, no. So I had my like really good harness on for the climbing, and then obviously as I started getting changed, I couldn't wear the awesome harness. So Mark rigged up this much smaller one that would be uncomfortable if I fell, but I wouldn't die. And he okay. had me secured in two spots with a rope to get dressed. And then for the photo shoot, we didn't want to see the rope. So I stood on top of, there's a bolt on top, on top of that bolt and had a very short lead um, up to my harness. And then we kind of worked everything around myself. And Mark was actually on the other side so that you couldn't see him. But um, he had a radio to communicate with Jay and he was talking with me the whole time because it was really windy at one point And I was like flailing around and didn't even know if I could stand up. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like you did it safe. I mean, geez. It, it was really safe, um, but we almost didn't yeah. get a great shot. And then we were like, all right, let's pack it up. And the wind blew up the cleft and the dress went over my head and I could hear Jay screaming, start posing. This is it. So did my do 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 and you know, the wind died down and we got the shot and had a really fun rappel off it and then hiked out and 
that that was an amazing shoot. Well, I'll share this with the I'll share this in the show notes and I'll post this on the social media. Yeah, it looks like a it looks like a production for sure. And then yeah. you had to so you basically stripped down naked and you gotta get this dress on. Uh-huh. And then there's 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 creepers just hanging out there like, you know, enjoying the show. But um, <laughs> Well, they were yeah. rock climbers like climbing, but then they realized that there was something going on and they glanced and like I heard a voice and then I'm like, Oh, there, yep, those are boobs, yep, yep, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. does he still does, does he still do, do these types of photo shoots he does but he moved out to arizona and um actually i'm oh, hoping okay. to reconnect with him out here which would be super fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, neighbors yeah yeah well, all right well we will uh we'll make sure that we get that out there and the, there's um there's a ton of photos, so you can sort of see the difference like when there was no wind and then when the wind picked up he's got some good ones here yeah. so Really cool. Very tastefully done. Yeah, it was fun. If if I were if I were to ever climb the eaglet and wear a dress, I would definitely look up that guy. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, that would Just be saying. Like, yeah. that would be such a fantastic <laughs> I don't know. Stop. You you may not understand this, but there's like this thing with fantasy football. Okay. Where um <laughs> When you you have a league and there's like ten people in the league or whatever, and usually like the last place person the loser has to do some stupid like and you get points every week and the last place person has to do some stupid activity like I think I've seen these videos where it. like the last place guy had to spend twenty four hours in an IHOP you know without leaving but I, I would feel like doing the dress photo shoot on top of the eaglet would be a good punishment for fantasy football yeah for sure. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, okay, so moving on, stop. We've got a, a public service announcement for the hiking buddies. So there is a class coming up this Saturday and Sunday. So you're going to hear this on Friday. There is a class on Saturday and Sunday hosted by Redline Guiding for a hiking buddy certificate. There are two spots open still. They're $200, and you can register at the hikingbuddies.org buddy certifications. And then I think that there is... Oh, then they just wanted to give a heads up that the they had a class last weekend, which yeah. was a hiking buddy-sponsored... Um, student class for certifications but this one was dedicated to 17 to 25 year olds and i think the funding for that class was paid for by the uh the donations that came in through emily's hike so um if you want to get knowledgeable about hiking and safety um i'm not exactly sure what the curriculum is you have to pull it up on the website but if you're interested in doing a class this weekend with mike cherim and redline guiding uh that's a great crew you'll you'll come out of that being an expert Excellence, yeah, highly recommended. Yes. Yeah. Um, all Esau. Right, <laughs> yeah, what is this? Esau's coming back. This is a yearly uh, professional development seminar for backcountry enthusiasts and avalanche safety professionals. It runs from uh, Saturday, December 2nd, uh, from 8.30 to 5, and they cover all kinds of things from avalanche formation, you know, risk, um, you name it. it. It's just such a great workshop. So just wanted to put that out there so people can check it out. Uh, they have numerous speakers lined up for the day, including uh, Jeff Fongemi from Mount Washington Avalanche Center. Uh, let's see, professional backcountry skiers, you name it. So check it out. Esau coming up in December. Stomp. Yep. 
you did something like I have a certain pet peeve and Christine, I don't know, you can weigh in on this, but you're just using the acronym and assuming that the listeners are knowing what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Eastern Snow and Avalanche Workshop. Thank you. It's because I'm nervous. I'm I'm in the presence of a celebrity, Christina. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) So Stomp, I apologize on behalf of Stomp for being an acronym snob. Uh, A couple of other shout-outs. A friend of the show, Mel, and and Wondercat Floki, uh, they made it into, I mean, talk about a real celebrity now. Mel and Floki, they made it into the new 4,000-footer book. Um, yes, by Steve Smith. So they have like a sec- they have like paragraphs in the beginning around like noteworthy hikers uh, in the White Mountains and animals and things like that. So Mel and Floki got a um, I think a couple of paragraphs around their their adventures and misadventures. It's pretty monumental to make it into a Steve Smith book. Yeah, you can't underestimate the power of that that's pretty awesome like a thousand years from now it would be like walking into a cave and seeing hieroglyphics people will be finding these books and reading about Mel and this cat in her backpack and like just wonderment it's super cool man Imagine Congratulations. It's like the only book that's left and they read about Mel and Floki and they start worshipping Floki as they're gone. <laughs> yes, yes. Someday, someday the cat in the pack will come back and rescue us all. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's really cool. So congrats. That's a super cool honor. Um, speaking of cats, we will hopefully be interviewing them at the Full Conditions uh, event at Reckless on November 11th. Uh, it is sold out, but again, you can show up a little later, 5 p.m. in the afternoon, and it will be open to the public. We have uh, a couple guest speakers, including Ty. He's going to be talking, and uh, another surprise guest. And earlier that day... Uh, go ahead, Mike. Are, are we going to be able to announce the surprise guest, or are we, we we're going to do that after? Um, let's see. When is it? Let's wait till next week. Yeah, we can okay. wait another week. Okay. Um, and then, of course, that morning we have the race for Rescue Me 5K in Lincoln at the One Love Brewery. And we have 20 runners in the team now. So I just want to thank everybody for signing up and supporting us, uh, but indirectly, but certainly supporting Lakes Region Search and Rescue, who are out there killing it with the missions and just helping those in need on the mountains. So that's a great event. Uh, so it's a busy day coming up. Are you ready, Mike? <laughs> I'm ready. Christina, I have a question for you. When you when you get ready for races, are you somebody, because me and Stomp, I was hanging out, like I couldn't run the Mount Washington road race because I busted my toe up. But Stomp, I noticed Stomp and me are very different with our pre-race uh, uh, yeah. system. So I'm a chiller. Like I figure like if, you know, 5K, maybe I'll run a little bit to loosen up. But for the most part, if it's like a longer distance, like I just assume like I'm going to warm up in the first mile and I'm not sweating it. But Stomp is like a, he's like a warmer upper. <laughs> yeah, for like sure. A, a, like a, a chronic warmer upper. Like he just goes for like an hour before the race. Meanwhile, I just sit on my butt and I'm like, I'll just warm up in there. So where do you fall on the continuum between like the, the warmer upper versus the, 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 the chiller? It kind of depends on the distance. Something short and fast, you do want to go into that feeling a little bit warmed up, so you should do some sort of dynamic exercises or jogging around. If you're going to be doing an ultra, you know, 100 miles or 
50 miles or whatever, you probably don't need to do that because you're going to be out there all day. Use your first mile or two to warm up, and that's going to help you conserve some energy so you have some left on the back end of the day. Okay. Yeah, you know what it is, Mike? Christina, it's like um, hitting... It's the Mount Washington in particular. It's like hitting a wall immediately. Yeah. You know, you've got that tenth of a mile where it's flat, yeah. and then boom! I just absolutely need that transition cardiovascularly. My I have to warm up cardio wise, yeah. not so much muscular, but just to get my cardio ready for that wall that you hit yeah. immediately. <laughs> That's sort of my reasoning on that. I can't see how you do it, Mike. It definitely helps. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't see. I, it's like that misery of not being warmed up for that sudden 60-degree uh, grade or whatever it is at the start there. Uh, I, can't, I could never do that. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> you only that need five minutes, sure. though. You don't, yeah. you don't need an hour, like five minutes. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm progressive about it, though. I'll start walking, and then I'll go up a, like a little hill, come down a hill, and then rest and walk a little bit. And then, you know, it's super progressive and not crazy. And then 15 minutes before the race, I'll actually go on the auto road for that first 10th and go up and down it a few times just to really get my mind in the mode. Here I am talking like a big runner. I mean, I'm so nervous. I go between the coffee and porta potty. Yes, uh, I'm in line for the porta potty, which we'll talk about that later, right? (laughs) Amateurs. I'm surrounded by amateurs. Oh, God. The pre-race shitters. The pre-race shitters, I think. Yeah, the shitters. This is going to be an explicit rating, I think, audience, so um, warning. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, that's good input. So Stomp, I got, um, mostly these are from Al, so shout out to our friend Al who does a lot of research for us. Um, He sent over a couple of um, news articles that are hiking related, so I just wanted to go over these with you. The first one is um, the state of Colorado had created an official app for mapping so um, this gentleman, I guess he pushed it. His, he's a software engineer with two decades of geographic information systems background, which is known as GIS. And these mm-hmm. are tools and techniques and software that capture and store visual data about the earth. So he created a, um, I guess the, there was an app that was created called Cortex. And... This guy apparently like realized that like the purpose of this cortex was to navigate the back country because there was concerns around the fact that like there was crowdsourcing and other apps that were getting people lost. So cortex, I guess, solved that issue because it was like the 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 approved uh, app, but I guess even this one turned out to have like some bugs and some misinformation on it uh, and some missing trails. So it just goes to show that no matter what you do, even if you get like a an approved app from the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, um, it still doesn't guarantee that everything is going to be perfect. So I still feel like having the the electronic device piece, the apps is good, but you should always just try to get the latest paper map as well, just as a backup. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. Can't put your trust 100% into that electronic. Yes. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, next story that Al sent us is a, uh, and I'm not going to read this whole thing, but it's it's from the I- Idaho Statesman, and it's a story about when hikers go missing, who's looking for them and for how long. And essentially, it's a story that talks about uh, a missing person case of a 66-year-old man who went hiking in 2016. He vanished into a part of the wilderness that, um, you know, they searched for a couple of weeks. They w- went missing. And it's the story of a um, a Boise man that apparently had um, gone out and I found, he went on a backpacking trip and he was able to find this missing hiker. So um, it's sort of the story about how when search and rescue crews finish their search and they're not able to find somebody, like what happens next? And it's a story about like one one gentleman that just took it on his own to to go ahead and find this guy. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And then along with that, um, I wanted to call out that, you know, the, there is not too many missing people in the white mountains, but the, the story that we've covered multiple times is the story of Michael Miller who, um, had gone missing exactly 40 years ago this month. So the anniversary of his, uh, ill-fated hike was 40 years ago. So he went missing on October 23rd, 1983. So, mm-hmm. He was a 22-year-old MIT student. He grew up in South Boston, and eventually they moved to Weymouth. He was hiking with three of his friends, or two of his friends. He separated right off the old bridal trail, right at the first 90-degree angle turn. Right. I remember this? Yeah. yeah. I think he headed up towards the Agonies, thinking that that was the summit, and he was never seen again. His friends called a rescue, and you know we did a deep dive on this in, episode, in, in the previous episode. Um there's an article on WMUR commemorating the 40th anniversary of him missing. And um, his brother, Tony, is quoted in the article. And he, I think that's the brother's name. Um, yeah, Tony. And his brother had given a little bit of additional information. He said that he had a 35 millimeter camera with him as well as a... Um, a black wristwatch. So I had posted a summary of this case in the unresolved mysteries uh, Reddit sub uh, subreddit, and his brother had actually responded with this information as well. And I think the brother's theory is that if somebody locates the camera, then they might be able to locate the remains or, or have an idea of where his remains would be. Um, be found so it's interesting i think about this a lot and i wonder if there's anybody that's sort of a metal detector um expert or somebody that has a metal detector like he it would probably be worth checking out that area at some point so you know maybe you find a camera maybe you find a wristwatch or a skeleton yeah i don't well, know but, uh, well oh with, with the um with the metal detector i'm assuming that would get a hit on something and then yeah exactly you find the camera and then you could say like okay well maybe i'm in the area where remains might be so it's just such a massive area though it's it's daunting daunting because yeah uh, essentially you go to old bridal and it's the first harder right hand a right hand turn you're kind of looking right up at the the agonies I think that he thought that that was the summit, and then he went straight for it, and it's open woods at the very low. I mean, this is like 2,200 feet of elevation, so he yeah. probably made his way up somewhat parallel to the old bridal trail because it does turn back a bit, 
you know, but that area is just so, it gets thick and it gets steep. So who knows where he is? Yeah, I think you should go in first, Mike, and see what you Stop. can find. We need a metal detector. <laughs> Imagine carrying a metal detector in there. <laughs> yeah, sure. So. <laughs> anyway, all right. So next up is, this is an interesting article. So there is a startup company in Hong Kong that, uh, so Hong Kong has a lot of issues with missing hikers. It's, you know, it's a mountainous region. It's very thick. So, um People go missing, and this startup company realized that you know fire rescue was having issues locating people. So these two young men, uh, college age men in Hong Kong, they put together a, a a startup company that uses drone technology combined with AI to um, take visual camera or video of specific regions of the mountain if there's a missing person case and then it uses ai to actually instead of human zooming in on each little like sort of small section the ai can actually do it like hundreds of times faster than a human can uh crowdsourcing hmm. so obviously like if there's nothing to see there's nothing to see but it, they showed some examples on this video that i'll post in the show notes where you, they could really zoom in and just see like half of a person that you would never see unless you were really just like looking inch by inch. The AI apparently can can visualize what a human looks like much better than the, the you know, doing it through crowdsourcing. Yeah, color anomalies as well. That's really yeah. interesting. Yes. So oh. um, more to come there. And I got two more here, Stomp. So there was a guy that went missing on a mountain called Quill that I think is in the Netherlands. It's like a volcano. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the rest, he was he was found, but at, right when he was found, all the rescuers like stepped on like a hornet's nest or something. So bees swarmed all over the rescuers. So could you imagine you're doing a carryout and then you step on a beehive? Oh, jeez, probably serious bees too, not your yeah. honey bees. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't that's know what the bee types are. So. Um, wow. But anyway, that's an interesting story. And then last but not least, this is a weird one. Um, in Portland, Oregon, there was a guy that plotted to, there was a climbing event. So just sticking with climbing. There was an, a, cl a climbing event in Portland. And this looks like this was yeah, a couple of days ago. 39-year-old Portland man, his name is Samson Zebtariah Garner. He was arrested on attempted murder and other charges after evidence suggested that he was planning a shooting attack on climbers. Authorities would not confirm the exact location of the planned attack, but it would have occurred in Smith Rock during the annual American Alpine Club Kragen Classic, which took place over the weekend. So I'm assuming, Christine, mm -hmm. you probably know more about this, but it sounds like it was like a gathering of, I'm assuming they have this at like Rumney or whatever, like gatherings of climbers over weekends and, and events like that. Yeah, they do it. Some of them are like more like training for guides and some of them are just recreational things. I'm not sure. I'm not too familiar with that one, but that would yeah. be tragic. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So apparently this guy was like involved in the outdoor climbing community, uh, enthusiastic outdoorsman, had been sort of around the, the Portland climbing culture for the last 10 years or so, um, had a pretty good job. I guess he had some issues around 2017 into 2018 where he lost his job 
and sort of stepped away from outdoor activities. And from there, he, I guess he tried to get involved in like a 2019 activity, but it sort of fizzled out. Then he had a divorce that had just gone through in 2022. And his, I guess his ex-wife, I guess they weren't um, getting along that well. Young children, she was going to take them back to Michigan where she'd grown up. So um, apparently the guy just wasn't in a good place at this point. So they had to get some, you know, there was some red flags there. They had to change the locks on the house and I guess get some, maybe a restraining order or something on the guy. So he um, apparently just like decided that he was going, he had a plan where he was going to try to like take out some of the belayers and some of the climbers in this event. He had like a whole plan that they uncovered. So luckily the, the, the police department was able to get to him before any tragedy unfolded. So Holy crazy moly. story. Yeah, sure yeah. is. The stories yeah. are just whack this week, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is... We're a happy place usually, but I mean, this is hiking and climbing related, so we want yeah. to... Yeah, it sure is. Hey, can we go yeah. back to the bees for a minute? Yes. I was looking at the story, and I was trying to figure out if they were carrying this person in the litter, but it looks like they may have been trying to raise him up on a steep ledge or something to that effect. So I'm not really clear if he was in a litter or not, but okay. it brought me back to thinking about what happens when people are attacked by bees. Have you two ever been attacked by bees? I mean, oh, yeah, you I'm do, terrified now. You do irrational things. Like, I, I, I can all naked. <laughs> okay. <Jeez. laughs> I tore my clothes off and ran down the trail naked. Oh, we'll really? get into it later, okay. but it is, it is in. <laughs> all right. So, what I'm thinking is if this guy was in a litter, can you imagine like what no. they had to do not to drop somebody if that were the case? But I'm just thinking, yeah. wow. Oh. It's Holy scary moly. too how quickly it can happen because it happened. I, I haven't been sw- I've been stung, but I haven't been swarmed. But I had there was one time. So in Brownfield, Maine, I would they have um, the Mountain Division railroad tracks are there, and um, up in Freiburg it's paved. But where we are on the lake, the the train track actually cuts between small Pequawket Pond and big Pequawket Pond. So. We take the kids around the railroad tracks, and the kids like to walk on the railroad tracks and everything, and it's it's a nice area. Um, and I had my three, and then I had my th- three nieces and nephews, and then maybe another cousin. So there's about six or eight kids, and the kids are all walking ahead of us, and then we're like maybe, I don't know, 100 feet back or something, and then all of a sudden I see like three of them just screaming, one of them stepped on a on a on like a bee's nest that was in the ground, and the bees started swarming, and they were like literally like it looked like that scene from Stand by Me where the kids are running away from the train, and I'm we're just like in shock, like we're like what the hell are they doing? Like why are they screaming and crying? And we realized yeah. that there was it was bees were swarming them, and they were like they got away. Luckily they were fast, but like they got away pretty quickly. But it was scary. Yeah. That's crazy. I remember way back in uh, junior high, high school, first day painting. I was a painter for the summers. Uh, first day on the job, the supervisor said, hey, I'll go up and show you how this is done. Climbed up this 30-foot <laughs> tall ladder to the, the top of this peak, and he's on this plank. And uh, he gets to the top and hits a 
a hornet's nest and literally it's seven o'clock in the morning five minutes into the job first day in the job he jumps off the pick 30 feet flying through the air I'm like holy moly what am i getting myself into like the craziest thing i've ever seen so anyway bees bees are fun Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stump. Bees, bees, yep. Um, all right, Stomp. So moving on to pop culture talk here. You want to talk about Godzilla from 1954? Yeah. Can you believe this? I spent my weekend watching old 1950s Godzilla movies because I came across this this uh, documentary about the producers and directors of the original Godzilla. And in this time that we're in this tense time of war and rumors of war and everything else, it, it's fascinating. Come to find out, the original producers... Their goal was to capture the horrors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And Godzilla is an allegory for the atomic bombs. So, watching that whole movie in that context of Godzilla being a nuclear bomb or whatnot, it totally changes the experience. It's an amazing thing. I had no idea that's what it was all about. I mean, obviously, Godzilla is a as a pop legend at this point, uh, a phenomena, but the original purpose was to actually capture the horrors of the war. Wow. Amazing. Isn't that a wild story? Yeah. Y- Incredible. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because like, there's so many of those cutaway scenes where you've got like the crowd looking out into the water or they're looking up in the sky to see the yeah. monsters. And I'm assuming the monsters would be Godzilla. That would be the allegory for the nuclear bombs then. Correct. Correct. Yeah, it, it totally changes the experience of that movie. Creature wow. double feature. Thirteen thirty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I grew up on that. Yeah, yeah. Although sure. I think Creature Double Feature was channel fifty-six. Actually, now that that's right. It was yeah. like Three Stooges, Stooges, and then Creature Double Feature, which we were not allowed to watch. To, the Three Stooges. I used to live for that stuff. Oh, I my loved God. the Three Stooges. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah I, I mean, totally. The, we weren't allowed to watch them, so I was obsessed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Remember Willie Whistle? Yeah, Willie Whistle. Willie Whistle. No, he was like a clown that was on in between the the show, the TV show. So that might have been. Uh, did you grow up in Boston? No, no, Connecticut. Okay, so yeah, we had like uh, our own like enough. Boston specific like characters. Yeah. So Willie Whistle was one of the characters. But anyway, Stomp, um, I got a little pop culture thing. So I'm, I've been thinking about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift a lot. Um, so she's been going to the, okay. she's been going to the, the, the football games. As a matter of fact, this weekend she like was interacting with Patrick Mahomes' brother who is under indictment for like an assault. So we didn't like that. We didn't like her being around him, but I was just thinking about like, there's a, a like a climbing hook that a- actually Al had sent over is that Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL, but he was not, you, you would think like these NFL people, they spend all this money trying to figure out who's going to be the best player when they draft people out of college, but they don't get it right all the time. Like Tom Brady was like a six round draft choice. So 
that essentially means that there was like 400 other people that were taken in the draft before Tom Brady got drafted. So he was like a throwaway candidate. Um, okay. But he ended up being the greatest quarterback of all time. Travis Kelsey, very similar. He was the fifth tight end taken in the draft in 2017 or 2018 or something like that. There was mm-hmm. four tight ends that were taken before him, one of which was a guy by the name of Gavin Escovar, who was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, he didn't have much of a career. I think he had 30 total receptions throughout his like three or four year career where he played for the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Browns, the Dolphins, and the Cowboys. So he was like a journeyman, didn't really stick anywhere. But the reason I bring it up is that he had um, he was one of two climbers that had, would, had been found deceased last year in Riverside County, California. So um, he had been climbing with hmm. a 33 year old uh, friend of his. Firefighters found both of them in a climbing accident, um, deceased in, near um, Taquitz Rock in San Bernardino National Forest. So. They were climbing a, a rock face. There was a little bit of rain going on, but not a yeah. lot of details on exactly what happened there. But I thought that was interesting that, you know, he was a former NFL player and he, you know, was out rock climbing after his career. He had, he had transitioned out of the NFL, was a firefighter, and was doing rock climbing on his own with a friend, and they ended up both dying. Uh, it's a shame. Well, it can happen. Yeah. I, I was wondering where this story was going because my 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 little bro buffer was getting weak, Mike. I was just, <laughs> my eyes were starting to glaze over with the sports talk. So, sorry. I was, I was bringing it back to hiking and, and climbing. So. Yeah, you revived me at the end. Yeah. So, but no, Jackson Mahomes is like, he's Patrick Mahomes. So, Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback for the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey is the tight end who Patrick throws the ball to. Patrick's wife, Brittany, and Patrick's brother, Jackson, are these like social media people that everybody hates. Now, Taylor (laughs) has become friends with them. So everyone's kind of like, now they kind of like Brittany, but everybody still hates Jackson. So it's, anyway, that's the latest. Yes. Drama? Yeah, drama. So, Christina's with me. Stop falling asleep. Yeah, I'm clueless. I'm so oblivious. All right, let's talk about stickers. All right, free stickers at Ski Fanatics, which I think just changed their location. They're not uh, in the uh, little strip mall there. Just when you get off of Exit 28 in New Hampshire, Campton, New Hampshire, off of 93, they're across the way from Dunkin' Donuts now. So, take a look at their new location. You can get stickers there, or you can go get them at. Um, oh my goodness, sorry, I'm getting distracted because of the little guy here. Uh, Spinner's Pizza <laughs> Parlor in Andover, Massachusetts, off Dascom Road, 93 in Mass. Uh, you can also advertise with us. Just send us a message via direct message on Instagram or Facebook, or send us a email at slasherpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll let you know what we can do for you. Beer talk. This is the part of the show where we usually talk about beer. Yeah, not yet. I got nothing. It's sober October is almost over. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. I've been doing the tequila challenge out here in Arizona until <laughs> I got COVID. So <laughs> no tequila challenge this week. You got to drink a hundred, and then they throw you a party. What? What do you mean a hundred over what 100 time different, frame? 
as long as it takes. Like I'm hoping oh, okay. to have it done by <laughs> May. Like that's the goal is May. So I have to do at least four a week and sometimes five a week. I don't drink when I'm in New Hampshire. Wow. Only in but Arizona. This, the tequila challenge matters. <laughs> this is a legitimate challenge. Is I want it 100 that party. shots that you have to do? Well, they're sippers. You, you don't, okay. these things, the most expensive one is $230. So I think I'm saving that Ooh. towards the end. But the crappy ones you do is a margarita, but the other ones you sip, and they're really good. Really? I'm learning a lot about tequila. Have you been huh. to um, Jerome, Arizona? I have not. That's like on a, it's near Sedona. So okay. I don't know. You, you're not near Sedona? Uh, like an hour and a half. An hour and a half. Yeah, you should check out Jerome, Arizona. There's like a, there's like a, um, I think it's a tequila brand there. Like there's some rock star guy that has a bar in Jerome. It's like, it's a, it's a, like a mining town. It's an abandoned mine town that's like supposedly haunted and they, it's like built into a mountain. It's a pretty cool place. I definitely check it out. And they, they have definitely tequila have. there. Yeah. Well, I, I have a hundred to drink, so I, I have to like go to the same place all the time. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but I can go get like nachos there. Yes, you can. Jer- <laughs> Jerome, Arizona. It's a, it's a pretty cool place. I highly recommend it if you're anyone's awesome. ever out there. Yeah. I think um, I've heard people talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It's hmm. worth checking out. Um, all right, Stomp. Uh, any recent hikes for you? Uh, no. <laughs> Just doing a lot of running. And you know what sucks? The the nights come so fast now, and you know with the time change soon, it's going to be dark at four. So, I uh, I've been trying to get out after work and just running the the Mount Washington Road Race uh, training loop that I was doing in the uh, estates at Waterville, and um, finally broke through the whole. Oh, oh my God, I got to get out and do this no matter what after work. I broke through it, and I'm just really enjoying getting out there late at night when it's dark. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. So I'm just doing a lot of running at the moment, but I hope to get out this weekend. It's supposed to be beautiful. How about you? You, you getting anything planned? I was supposed to go hiking last Saturday with my friends, uh, Beth Lynn and Mindy. And uh, it was obviously, it was raining. So we sort of, I think, um, you know, we all sort of just agreed at the same time that like our, our souls couldn't handle another rainy day hike. So we just bailed and it was pretty bad. I mean, it was literally raining on Saturday, but I'm getting out with my friend, uh, Jay. I'm going to be taking him out. He's hiked with me a few times. We're going to go into your backyard stomp. Oh, really? Yeah. I was thinking about Welsh Dickie on Saturday morning. If you want to join us. That's a great one. Oh, that'd be great. I'll, I'll probably be around. I could show you guys a couple little tricks. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Little shortcuts and weird little off things. If you're interested. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, I was thinking maybe we uh, we could do that, and then I got to get back from my fancy dress dinner party on Saturday night. So that's right, that's right. Huh. All right. Well, so, go ahead. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Other huh? than that, I've just been running every morning. I have my uh, I've been doing the headlamp thing, and I see my uh, my my flock of deer that are on Woodson Farm in Amesbury. Got, like, wilderness family. Oh my God! There's like ten of them now, and I see them like. <laughs> they are like I'll I'll annoy them. They'll run away, and then I run down, and they'll see me again. They run away, and I'll see them like three times during the run. Huh. Do they think you're like a deer? Do you think? <laughs> I think I don't think I'm doing them any favors because oh, what I've noticed is that at night, if I, if I have the headlamp on, the they gazelle. tend to allow me to get a little bit closer. So I don't know if they fixate on the light or not. Um, 
although maybe they're just getting used to me, but I don't think I'm doing them any favors because if they're used to me, then they're going to be used. And, and where I am, like you can't hunt. It's like yeah. town property. <clears throat> but if they're getting acclimated to humans, that's not a good thing because hunters might be able to freeze them up and, and, and shoot them. Although I don't know, maybe that's a good thing. I certainly enjoy my venison, but um, I like them. <laughs> they, they seem to like Woodson Farm. Don't say that too loud. Yeah. All right. Wow. That's pretty cool. How about you, Christina? I know you've been a little under the weather, but have you been out? I I see a lot of your Instagram posts. Looks like you're hitting some of the desert trails. Yeah, I was training and heat acclimating for a 100-mile race I was supposed to do this weekend, and then... Um, Decided to get a really nice case of COVID this week, so I will not be running that 100. But it's okay, because it's going to be hot, and I picked another one in January, and it's not going to be hot in January. So it's a blessing. It's not a curse. So in January, what's the temp like? 70s? 80s? Uh, Not even. It'll be like 50 or 60, so it'll be like perfect running weather, where this one's going to be 90 degrees and like death ray sun. So, you know... I. Was I sad? Yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of a good excuse to not have to run in a million degree weather in the desert. So yeah, it's okay. this is like a this is a question for the interview. Yeah. But are you always at a uh, a state of training to let you run something like that? Are you you guys just seem so busy with the races and White Mountain mm-hmm. Endurance and this and that. It seems like you don't have time for that. But what is your your well, default position for training? So I like to have myself kind of hanging in a um, ready-for-anything state. So I'm ready for any, pretty much pretty anything, <laughs> yeah. except wow. for like for this race specifically, it was going to be hot. So coming up to the desert early, running in you know different clothing, seeing what works, learning how to hydrate in this heat. So it's just tweaking um, yeah. the terrain you're running on and like the conditions you'll be in to get ready for it. But anytime, okay. like just ready for anything is the best place to be. Gotcha. That's great. How long does it typically take you to get like acclimated to the heat out there? Uh, just three, four weeks. Really? Uh, but it was more, um, it's not so much the heat that's bad, it's the sun just like absolutely annihilates you. So I had like the sun hat and a long shirt and you're drinking 40 ounces of water an hour, which is just absurd wow. and running out. So it, it's just a big learning curve. And do you, is there a preference, like, do you get down into canyons when you can to get a little bit of shade, or is it not even worth it and you, you got to go high? N- it's not worth it because this particular race, there's no shade. You're in the okay. sun the whole time, so it was just getting ready for it. But, um, again, that won't be an issue in January. It'll actually be a really fun experience instead of a suffer fest. All right. Well, I'm interested. I will be following along with your. Hopefully, you'll feel better, and uh, yeah. it should be should be better in January, like you said. Yeah, mm. hope so. All right. Stop. Um, do you want to stop? Do you want to put the notable um, hikes after we talk to Christina, and then yeah. before we do the Halloween stuff, and then we can just get right into talking to Christina. Yeah, let's do that. And then, Christina, like like I said earlier, if you're feeling lost, you can you can bolt. We won't be offended. Okay. Um, but yeah, let's do that. Okay. Yeah. 
It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Christina, why don't you start off, just sort of reintroduce yourself and um, let the listeners know who you are and a little bit about your background. Okay. So I'm Christina Falsik, and I currently own White Mountain Endurance Endurance Coaching. So I coach athletes, and I used to own White Mountain Endurance Races, and those have been acquired by Aeroviper Running, but I still host the races with my partner, Rem, so we're the race directors, and plan on continuing that and adding a couple new races next year. And I knew I had a book in me about running, and initially it was going to be this, like, dramatic, my background, my trauma, overcoming, and how powerful and strong you can be. And (laughs) since going through this whole shaman experience, I'm like, that's not who I am. Like, my past doesn't matter. I'm happy. Why do I need to share and air dirty laundry? There's no point. I want to make people laugh. That's who I am. And I love being goofy and silly. So I was like, why not write a book of stupid running stories? And um, it's called Never Trust a Fart, which if you're a runner, (laughs) you you know to not trust a fart. Um, Even if you're not a runner, you don't. (laughs) But decided to um, completely embellish these stories. And I just was sitting around one day thinking about my dad, who is a phenomenal storyteller. All of his stories are based on truth. And they're so stupid and ridiculous that all you can do is laugh. And I'm like, you know what? I'm my dad's daughter. I'm writing a book that is honoring his storytelling. And it is such a silly, stupid book with every story based on truth, but completely embellished. Really? And it's, it's all based around running. I I was on every single run. Um, It involves a lot of my friends and, you know, different races I was in, but all the names have been changed. And the basis of it is it starts out where all the runners are showing up for a race and they get lost and they accidentally show up at a fire ceremony and drink mushroom tea and start telling stories. Okay. um, That's kind of how it goes into the storytelling. So it's just a really goofy book and we need more comedy like everything is so serious and angry and sad and traumatic so if you want something stupid that's going to make you laugh uh, this book definitely will do that yeah i agree i think that like uh, especially at this point in our lives like having a nice um you know book that has a little bit of levity to it is is a good call and i think anybody that's a runner or a hiker or uh, you know just the central premise around never trust a fart so for people that may not be aware essentially like when you're running almost everybody that's a runner and i think hikers experience this as well <laughs> you know you get this situation where your stomach will start rumbling and you know and it's and i don't know what it is about the body but like the body will just sort of tell you like even though you're gonna say like i'm gonna i'm gonna overcome this like sometimes you cannot overcome this and it just becomes this like powerful situation that you you know you have to deal with and if you're running that might mean that you know you're not close to home and you may need to duck into the woods or 
you know, oh, just let or it you rip. try to like squeeze and clench and like squeak it out quiet, and then all of a sudden it's wet, and you're like, oh shit, I just yeah, yeah. My pants. I always <laughs> like my move is like I gotta tie my shoe, but like I'm like you know, <laughs> twisted up in a knot. So, um, but oh, I have God. had like I will be. I mean, I'll give my confession, and then I'll, I had the never trust. I've had the situation where I've trusted a fart, and it's. It didn't pay off, and I had to rush back into an office building to, like, take care of the situation. And I thought, like, I got to go to an elevator with 12 floors. And, like, it's, like, 6.30 in the morning, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go up in the elevator and go to the, the, the locker room and take care of it. Of course, that's the one morning where there's like a, a, a like a busload of visitors of Chinese businessmen that are all going up on the elevator, and I'm like, "Do I go? Do I stay in the lobby? Do I wait?" And it's like, and then I finally told them I was like, "No, I need to go up by myself." So they're all standing there, like wanting to get in the elevator, and I'm like, "No," and I just went up. So I get it. I get it. So, um, how long did it take you to write the book? I've been working on it since January. Um, it was actually really easy and fun. I think the hardest part is editing a book. Yes. That takes oh, God, forever. Yeah. Did you have an editor? I did not. Oh, okay. So we'll we'll see how everybody can comment on the editing skills, but it's a stupid book. So if you don't like it, you can like <laughs> review it and say, this was the dumbest shit I ever read. I can't believe I lost this many minutes of my life reading this book. <laughs> Now, how many chapters is it? <laughs> chapters, how many? Uh, 173 pages. 173 pages. Oh, I thought you were going to say 173 chapters. And it's, uh, well, so it's uh, modeled after the chicken soup um, for the soul books, if okay. you remember oh, those. Nice. It's a yeah. bunch of short stories, so it's not this, like, arduous long read where you're like, ah, oh, shit, this, like, this sucks. I just want to put it down. It's like, bam, <laughs> you can, like, read it while you're taking a dump. It's great. Okay. You know? Get... And your um, the characters that you have in this, like your friends, have you told them like, okay, this is your chapter, or are you going to make them read it and they'll have to figure it out for themselves? There, some of them know, but they'll read it. They'll know exactly which one was their chapter. Is and there I any, actually, yeah, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, That's I probably, do have a disclaimer in the book that a lot of the stuff that we've done i don't condone and i condone wilderness first aid classes and safety and bringing all your <laughs> your proper equipment because some of these stories are like things you i don't condone people doing but i'm here i'm alive and it's a funny book so take it for what it is now yeah, is, all, is most stuff. of the story based in the white mountains or is it a mix of the white mountains and arizona actually all over the country all over the country yeah yeah because i've done a lot of racing around the country but most of it is the White Mountains. Nice. All right, so I got to check this out. And now, do you do you are you? And I haven't read this yet, so you have to give me some background. But do you actually describe like when you're in the White Mountains? Do you actually describe the the geography, or are you just is it just up to the reader to interpret where you are? pretty much up to the reader i mean basically it's you know it'll talk about you know in the beautiful mountains of new hampshire or you know mount chakora so there are some local points that you'll recognize but some of it you Mm -hmm. won't recognize as well so it's something that anybody can pick up read relate to and find funny how much is around like calamities that you deal with as a race director (laughs) um I did not put any of that in there, actually. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Yeah. Huh. And, you know, I think a part of it is 
as a race director, I have a lot of respect for the runners, and I would never want somebody to feel ashamed or embarrassed by something that happened to them in a race. And if I put that in a book, it would... If somebody, if, if that were that person reading that, I don't want their feelings to be hurt because I always want people to feel safe when they do our races, whether they get sick, lost, make a mistake. Like, I don't ever want to shame anybody. So that, this is like my own personal nonsense and mistakes that I, I made myself. Got it. Got yeah. it. Excellent. Can you share anything or do you want to keep it a top secret? Oh, God, no, I can share. Share, yeah, share like, an anecdote. From your 173 chapter book, <laughs> pages stomp. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's one, uh, and this is great. There was this is actually a great story. I was out running at night with a friend, and it was hunting season. And of course, it's drizzly and foggy, and the trails are kind of soft. There's some snowmobile trails, and all of a sudden, I trip and fall, and I'm like wow, the ground feels really weird. It's slimy and like, I don't know. It's just, it's an awkward surface. So I'm like wiping my face because I fell in something. I'm wiping my shirt, like drying my hands off. And I'm like, this mud is greasy. It's sticky. It smells funny. Still don't think anything of it. So we're like chatting away, having fun. And of course it's drizzling. So things are just getting a little bit worse. Get back to the house. Mind you, I'm wearing a white long sleeve shirt. I'm covered in blood. I look, it's like war paint. My shirt's covered in blood. And my friend, she looks at me and she goes, what the hell? And we, we like couldn't figure out for the life of us what happened. Well, somebody had killed a deer, got the gear, deer, oh. left the carcass on the trail. I tripped on the carcass, fell in the carcass. Holy moly. <laughs> covered in blood from it. So, you know, it's like... <laughs> Stupid random things like that. That's like oh a Stephen God. King story. <laughs> That's epic. Carrie. Yeah. Hmm. Who gets to fall in a carcass? That's beautiful. Well, I mean, they should have odds the guts. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, this is great. Yeah. How do you get, how can you buy the book? So it will be on sale um, October 31st on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. You can get the ebook um, pre-ordered. And then Amazon, I think it'll show up first on October 31st. Barnes & Noble, I'm still trying to figure out when they're going to have my release date for that. But they can go on my coaching website and go into merchandise and then get um, an author-signed copy and shipping's included with that. Or you can just buy your copy on Amazon and you know review it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Love it, hate it. Um, <laughs> just let me know what you think. I just want to make people laugh. Yeah, that's no, great. I think I'm excited to read it, and I'll make sure that we put this all in the uh, the show notes, and we'll link it and put it on our socials as well. Um, and then how long did you say it took you to write it again? Started in about January. January, okay. So yeah. uh, that's an accomplishment. Like, I've tried to sit down and, like, write. Or, you know, not really a book, but I've tried to write like scripts and things like that. And it's like, sometimes it's just like, I don't know what your process is like, but I feel like the, you could sit there for two hours and get like one page done. And then sometimes you feel inspired and you can get five or six pages done within like 20 minutes and you just, you're just rolling. So that's how moments, I go. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the second good. there's a moment, like everything stops, I grab the laptop and just like, you know, and of course, jotting down because you forget all your stupid stories, you know, just little reminders. Oh, this one, that one, that one. And, mm. and then just like make a it daily fun. diary. Just keep notes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Some of the great wow. writers do that. This is cool. So you have like another cool fun fact if you have to share. You can be like, I wrote a book. I yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. All right. So listen, hey, let's take a step back and talk about White Mountain Endurance a little bit. So you guys um, have created some of the most iconic races around here. You started out as Rock Hopper Races and then changed the name. And the name is beautiful. Yeah. It seems to be sticking. But um, just so the listeners know, it's like these guys have the White Lake Ultra, the Chikora Mountain Race, Race the Cog, which we've covered quite a bit, which is an amazing race. We are actually literally racing against the cog. <laughs> Jigger Johnson Ultras, the Kilkenny Road Ridge Race. And um, I just wanted to touch upon new races you mentioned. Yeah. What's going on here? So we have the Baldface Scramble, which is going to be in Evans Notch. So we have a race that's going to be on the Baldfaces, similar oh, to boy. Mount Chikora. I know. Um, that'll that's be in awesome. August next year. And then we're adding a shorter distance, about 20-ish miles to Jigger Johnson on Saturday. So anybody that wants to try their hand at um, Tecumseh and the Osceola is a little bit shorter event. Oh, um, nice. Like a mini Jigger Johnson. And we're hoping to turn Jigger Johnson into a full-on festival. Um, and that's yeah. that's the vision for people to come for the entire weekend. Uh-huh. And then, of course, we have a couple other things that we're, we have in the works. Oh, and a shorter distance for Kilkenny, too. So we have a, a little short distance race that's about 15 miles that we'll be adding next year is it too early to expound upon the bald face or do you have a, a like a route or a, a rough we idea have of permits approved everything's approved um we're just you know with all these things you just have to make sure everything's finalized but um we have mm. a private landowner that's allowing us to have a chikora style so it'll be in a field actually um, yep. Hopefully you can come join us and we're going to have oh, the tin can food truck. So it's going to be like a very similar format. And then people will basically do two loops. So they'll do one loop, come down and then go back up and do another loop and come back. Um, but you're essentially going <laughs> around <That's> the, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be wicked fun. And the bald faces are so pretty. Oh yeah. Can't wait to show those off. Beautiful. Is the Red uh, Red Ridge Trail going to be involved in this at all, or is it going to be just going up south and north moat? They're going to be individually. No, not the moats. Um, oh, the bald faces. I'm thinking the I'm bald thinking faces. The yeah. Oh, the bald faces. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking the moats for some. I'm like zoning out for a second here, but like, oh, wow. Yeah, no. So two loops of the bald faces. Well, right. Holy Moses. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, but two separate loops. So, yeah, yeah. but oh, it's wow. going to be fun. It's about five thousand feet of climbing, and um, should be really similar to Shakora, and should be really fun. Yeah, wow. Well, good for you guys. And Aravapa will be covering these as well. Yeah, they have all the races. We're just the race directors now, and the um, yeah. people that plan new races. And then we have a couple more that we're kind of putting on deck. But again, it takes three to five years to get a permit. So sure. Bald faces wow. was a quick one. That one was about three years. Intense. Oh, that's really great. <laughs> Fantastic work. Yeah, bald faces. The the challenge there is that there's not a lot of like there's not any water sources once you get past. Mm-mm. You know, like you can get there's that like I forget what that like. It's it's kind of like there's a spur trail off below the north bald face um, shelter area that you can get yeah. water but yeah it's tricky mm-hmm. so that's why we have to do the two separate loops so they come back down to the road get some aid and then they can go back up again that otherwise people wouldn't be able to do that 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. So I'm tempted. Yeah. I'll have to. I have to do one of these. It's always timing. I'm always traveling over the summer. Well, I'm intrigued by the Tecumseh and Osceola. I, I mean, I could handle that. I'll just put on a really long song on the DJ rig and go tackle it quick and come back. Are you going to be there for the whole 60 hours to DJ? I mean, yeah, can you imagine? Oh, my God. <laughs> That would be that would be Guinness Book of World Records type of uh, DJing right there. We'll have like a stand-in stomp. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. How about training? How about your um, uh, coaching? Can you, we talk about that because we had uh, EC Banks on recently, Ethan, and uh, he had mentioned how helpful your uh, training and coaching regimen was, and uh, maybe touch upon that. Yeah, I've been having a ball coaching people, and I yeah. I have a very different approach to coaching because it's a whole body thing. I involve like the shamanistic work, and then we do mobility, and we do strength training and cardio. And I have, you know, now that I've been doing this for a couple of years, I've come up with multiple plans. So now I have some more affordable options. That's a lower price point, and basically, it depends on how much. Um, accountability you need or guidance you want with the coaching so I can do something that's an hour a week and then you get your training through training peaks and I can do something that's one meeting a month if that's all you need and same thing all the training is through training peaks and I sell training plans as well which are seamless and really cool and they include mindfulness mobility um, strength training and your cardio because the mindset piece is extremely important but mm-hmm. as far as anything in the White Mountains goes, I really enjoy taking people that have a hiking background and transitioning them to running because it's the White Mountains are so unique and so special that it's a very specific type of training you need to be able to run that terrain. And of course, I still help people with Boston qualifiers and faster running races, too. Yeah. And this is virtual for the most part or a little combination? It's all virtual. Um, when I come back to wow. New Hampshire, I like to do one or two days where we just go. It's you know free. Anyone I coach can come join, and we do a group run together and go over skills and techniques. Yeah. But the virtual is really nice way to um, just. It's funny at first. I thought it would be weird, but you really get a connection with one another, and I can take a look at my runners, and you know I can see if they look healthy. I can see if they're telling me the truth about how they feel, and you know I, I want to know if there's injuries or if they're sleeping well. So it's a very thorough method of coaching because I I care about everybody that I work with. So seeing yeah. them visually allows me to see if they're healthy. If somebody gotcha. says I need accountability, does that involve like them? Share, will you then say like, okay, I need to see your data. Let me see your sort of sleep statistics and your your running statistics and things like that. Or do you not get down into that level? Oh, I'll do as much or as little as they want. I have some okay. runners where I'm actually looking at their HRV, their overnight sleep statistics, and how they're feeling. And then you know we always oh, address cool. pre injuries to prevent injuries. And some people don't want that much so it's more of like okay how do you feel today how's your appetite um how are you eating and are you having fun and then just figuring out when they need a down week because everybody needs time off um Mm -hmm. you know catching it before they're burnt out or injured yep Uh, ethan's been kicking ass i am just so floored with like all of a sudden this summer he just went from like i don't know about this to holy cow what are you doing 
Yeah, he's like doing yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to spend the afternoon doing a marathon <clears throat> distance on the squams. Like, yeah. he's, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> crushing it. Do yeah. you find like, I, and I, I just, obviously, I just sort of track my own situation. You know, now I'm getting in my 50s. Like, I'm very happy just putting in my 25, 30 miles a week. And I'm not, you know, my diet ebbs and flows a little bit. But uh, do you find, like, do you get people sort of in this 50 to 60 year old age range where, they say, look, I, I want to make some gains, or is it more, do you find it's more common they just want to maintain health? No. Um, actually, the athletes I work with that are over 50 years old, and I have some up to 70, they don't look at their age as something that holds them back. They want to get better, they want to get faster, and they want to compete with everybody. They don't want to be age groupers. They they have goals, and they don't see that. And I wholeheartedly believe that age isn't a barrier. It's if you want it, you have to train right and train smart. Um, when you're 20 years old, you can get away with anything. As you get older, you have to train very specifically so that you can get those gains without being injured. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, hard. Totally. It's, it is hard. Like, I'm just, yeah. I'm addicted. I'm, I'm just, like, lazy about everything else. I can do the cardio, but I don't want to, like, be accountable for, like, weightlifting or stretching yeah. or any of that stuff. So that's why All you, stuff you, that I, prevents injuries. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you would hate me. You would hate me. So. I don't uh, hate anybody. Yeah, yeah, well, I would be a problem child. So um, can you talk about Arizona a little bit? I'm very interested. So I spent, a, I spent like, a week and a half out there a couple of years ago, and I absolutely fell in love. Like, I was in the Sedona area. Yeah. I was talking about I was down by Cottonwood and Jerome, and then we went up to Flagstaff, <clears throat> Page, Arizona, uh, did, like, the Grand Canyon, that area, and I was just like, you know, I could mine that area of Arizona for, like, weeks and weeks and months. Yeah. And I feel like you're not exactly, like, in that particular that specific area but can you talk a little bit about your area of arizona and then like if just sort of highlight for people that might be looking to plan to take a trip out there like what would be your advice as far as if they wanted to do any sort of hiking or, or trail running well it depends on what you're looking for so like the page area is really flat and you know it's a little bit hotter and that's like full-on desert then of course you have the grand canyon but you have to be mindful of the weather and conditions Sedona is absolutely gorgeous, but it is extremely crowded, but it's really pretty, and there's phenomenal mountain biking, trail running, and hiking, restaurant shops, so kind of a really cool place for the family. And then we're in the Scottsdale area, and the reason we picked this spot is there are mountains, so you can go play in mountains, but they're runnable mountains, and the mountain biking here is ridiculously good. The trail running here is fabulous. Um, it's also kind of fun to be running down the trail, and you see some famous runner going by, um, a lot of you know really high-end cyclists, too, that you see out here, but the people are nice, and everybody is so happy and friendly on the trail, and for the most part, polite, and people share the trail really well because you have horses. You have bicycles. Some places have e-bikes. You have hikers and families. So it's a, it's just a really cool dynamic. And what's nice about the Scottsdale Phoenix area is, again, if you have kids or a family, there's awesome restaurants and a lot of stuff for the family to do, museums and places to visit, but a lot of outdoor stuff. Yeah, we did fly into Phoenix and we spent some time, like my kids, we toured like uh, ASU and like the, checked out the Scottsdale area, so it was good. But we, when we went in, we just sort of, we, we spent the day in Scottsdale, did the college tours and then headed up to Sedona. So we didn't spend as much time down in that area, yeah. 
but like you said, like there was there was a lot of restaurants and. Yeah. Um, years ago, I went there when I was visiting friends in college, and like there's some good, there's some good partying in uh, yeah. Arizona State for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, all right. So you're you're in the the more populated area, but also close enough where you can get out into the 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 more secluded, like trail running and, and hiking areas. Yeah, like we live on trails here, um, and then you know there's a lot of trails not that far away, and. I'm actually going to be mountain bike guiding for some friends that own a mountain bike guiding company out here. So if anybody wants a mountain bike tour, you know, hit us up and we'll show you some really cool trails because the mountain biking out here is way better than New Hampshire. Sorry, New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you been mountain biking for a long time? I used to be a professional downhill mountain bike okay, racer. So you, yeah. you know what you're yeah. doing then. Yeah. So, um. With the guiding for the mountain bikes, do you you typically take like is that a one on one thing or do you take a group of people? It depends. They have a fleet of bikes, and then you know it's whatever people want. If it's it's usually families that come, or sometimes it's couples, and then it's a two hour bike ride. And the distance obviously is based on fitness level, so there's a shorter distance if people don't have the ability to go that far. And then of course there's longer ones and. Um, you know, they have, you just bring your shoes and they have helmets and bikes and everything you need. And it's the same deal. There's no hiding from the sun on the mountain bikes. There's no, no, it's really hot. Um, except for, here's the thing, November 1st, the weather changes. So November through April, you're looking at like maybe 70 degrees, but usually 50s to 60s. So it's pretty fabulous. Yeah. We got to get out there, Stomp. Yeah. Take your running. Yeah, one of these days. Yeah, what's your address? <laughs> yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> so, crash. Is it like everywhere else where it's like the real estate market's crazy right now, or is it like um, a little bit it more is. reasonable? It's crazy out there, too. It's it's just like every, it, there's nowhere. Like, I think that's, again, it comes down to, you know, not that short-term rentals are the problem, but everything is a rental and not like a long-term rental. So it's hard to find things. Well, okay, well. We'll have to keep that in mind, Stomp. Maybe we'll have to get a studio out in Arizona. Hey, yeah. That sounds like a good idea. Great place to be in the winter. Awesome. Well, we want to pivot to talk about Halloween, but before we do that, Stomp, is there anything that I miss with Christina? I don't think so. I just want to thank you guys. I mean, I love you both. Um, I, I love that you took me under your wing. It's done wonders for my DJing. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing quite like playing music for eight hours straight to make your skills oh a little sharper. <laughs> we just no, love, I love having you. I love every minute of it. No, honestly, I do. I love it. So I just, just wish you the best and uh, stay healthy and uh, enjoy your time out in the warm weather. And we'll see you guys soon enough. You know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and enjoy Halloween. I mean, put on a costume and have some fun. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> now, do you want to stick around with us, or are you going to bolt? I can stick around. Okay, okay. sounds good. Because yeah. we are going to talk a little bit about uh, Halloween now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, why don't we just do this? So um, we so we're going to skip the notable hike stop. We'll do those next week. Sorry, notable hike people. Um, just yeah. keep them coming. We'll do a longer segment. But oh yeah, um, we have a list of spooky places um, These are cool. that we've gone over before and spooky stories. But before we do that, 
Stump, and Christina got me thinking about this because um, you have a segment on here where you have like Stomp's picks my, and my picks and Christina's picks for spooky places. So why don't we right. start with those and then we can talk about like some of the haunted places around uh, sure around the White Mountains. So why don't you go? All right. Well, me? As yeah. in Stomp? Okay. Yeah, well, my, my number one spooky place in the Whites would be just in general, the Sandwich Range, for whatever reason. I just find it to be a very moody place. Beautiful place, but moody and a little bit mysterious nonetheless. But the number one trail that spooks me and creeps me out is Dicey's Mill. Out of I was going to say that one. Wow. That's, yes. Oh, you're going to flip when you hear this. Okay, so that's for me. Mrs. Stomp, I talked to her earlier, and she said the same exact thing. And then she added the Passaconaway Summit. So Which is mine. That's, that's my pick, too. <laughs> oh, my second is Hancock Notch. But Dicey oh. Hill is one. Hancock okay. Notch is a little creepy, too. <laughs> wow, that's pretty pretty close to unanimous, though, huh? Something about that pass. Passaconaway and Dicey's. <laughs> this, you know what it is about the sandwich range. I was thinking about this when we were, when I was looking at the script, and you would put Dicey Mills, and then I'd put the Passaconaway Summit. Is I feel like um, that whole region there was settled in the 1700s, 1800s. Like there's that story about how like the farm, you know, there was the toll booth there. And then there was the story about the, like the settlers that didn't want to pay the toll and they built the brook trail in Chikora like with their axes. And it just, it seems like that area is like, and then there's Kate Sleeper. And, you know, that area was very good for, as far as like, historically like preserving the whites and like there was a lot of religion there but i also feel like there was just a lot of settlers there and i suspect that there's like people that just you know died and they were buried in that woods and there's their their ghosts are still in there and the summit of Passaconway, conway there's something about that summit that even in good weather it just reminds me of like if there was ever going to be like a satanic cult meeting it would be in that like little <laughs> circle it's just such I a like. Totally see that you're just immersed in the, the woods so deeply yeah. in there. So it's just I don't know. It's past it, Conway Sandwich Range definitely gets my pick. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's a different kind of uh, summit too, where it's it's wooded, but it feels so tight. There's like you feel exposed up there with the yeah. wind blasting through. It's a very interesting summit, but but yeah, yeah creepy, but, creepy stuff. So I had a second pick. That I had written down, and Christina, I think you. I'd like to get your perspective on this. Is I've started. I I I learned about the redstone quarries last. I mean, my father-in-law had told me about it a couple of years ago, but I finally got in there, and I just feel like that, like the quarry section that's underwater, and you've got the the derricks there, and that whole like that to me, just like there's definitely some dead bodies that are buried in that like that that water area there. And I know that you go in there and 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 run and do mountain biking. So I don't know if you agree or disagree, but like there's just something about that. Like it it just has like a ghost town feel to it. It definitely has the ghost town feel, but I also get this like really caring, loving vibe in that spot. And I don't know why I get that feeling, but it feels abandoned. Hmm. But there's like this really awesome energy from that specific area. And I have no idea why I feel that there. Yeah. Yeah. So the Redstone Quarry. So this is in North Conway for people that are curious. And you park right behind the Walmart parking lot and that whole area. So you can go into Redstone Quarry, which is like straight and then to the right. You can also um, 
do biking, you can go down the bike path and actually get out to Cranmore and up into Hurricane Mountain now, the way they have that that um, bike path there. So it's a fun area to check out. But Redstone Quarries is, it's not as spooky as past Conway and, and Dicey's Mill. And it sort of has a Goonies feel to it when you approach this like water covered um area that has like cables and all these these things to it but it's just it's kind of an interesting halloweeny type of place i'd love to go there at night in my headlamp and just feel the vibe go for a swim not going for a swim no go <laughs> diving just kidding no no there's definitely snakes in that water so. <laughs> there's, there's ghouls that will pull at your ankles yeah yes. yeah so uh all right so anyway i think we're all any any other spooky spots that you guys can think of for hikes and trails, I think that's the number one. Yeah. I honestly can't think of any others that have been as disturbing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little huh. bit of a weird vibe. The only the only other one that I had was um, like Nickerson's Le- Nickerson Ledge on Chikora. I was hiking there a couple of weekends ago, and I just got a weird vibe. That was where the little girl went missing in 1941. And she had said that she had like heard voices or something like that. And I just, I get a weird vibe in that like section between where you get off a Piper trail, you get on the Nickerson ledge and then you connect to, um, Carter ledge. It's just a spooky kind of area. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yep. All right. Stop. So some other topics. So there's a book called haunted hikes of New Hampshire. So Fantastic we'll, book. Yeah, we'll include this, and it's got a whole list of different hikes that you can check out. It's by yeah. Marianne O'Connor, so um, we'll include that so people can can check it out and try to do that. That should be like a patch or something if you do all those hikes. <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. Yeah, no yes. doubt about it. Um, next up, we have a couple of spooky legends. The first one is the legend of Chikora. We've talked about this one before. Mm-hmm. Um you want that to do this a, one or you want me to do it? Sure, yeah, I can, I can cover it. This comes out okay. of the 1700s. Uh, there were many settlers in the area of Tamworth. And uh, the most common story about Chikora uh, was uh, particularly friendly with a settler named Cornelius Campbell and his family. So one day, Chikora, who was a chief of a local tribe, uh, was called away for tribal business and asked if the Campbells could watch his young son, Tuamba, while he was gone. So while Chakor was gone, unfortunately, the boy found some poison, drank the poison, and ended up uh, dying. And upon Chakor's return, he found out that uh, his son had died, distraught with grief, as this story writes, pledged revenge on the family, and shortly thereafter, Mr. Campbell returned home one afternoon to find his wife, Caroline, and children slain. So, long story short, they chase Chikora up to the top of the mountain where he curses the white men and jumps to his death. That's a pretty, pretty awesome story, huh? Chikora's curse. Chikora's curse. Yep. May the great spirit curse ye. <laughs> yep. He got revenge on the worst babysitters ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So that's All the right. legend of Chikorua. 
Yep. Another legend is the legend of Doc Benson. So Doc oh, Benson is, uh, we trace this back to the Dartmouth Outing Club, which made this famous. We probably should have uh, asked Rusty about this one here. But this tale oh, is told sure. to campers and, and, and Dartmouth Outing Club folks, and it's it's well known amongst hikers. So yeah. it is the tale of Doc ben- Benton, who was born Thomas Benton sometime in the 1800s. Um, this legend goes on to say that uh, Thomas Benton was studying under a man by the name of Professor Stockmeyer took Benton under his wings. They studied esoteric subjects such as alchemy and immortality alongside the usual studies. Unfortunately, Professor Stockmeyer passed away right before Benton graduated and returned to New Hampshire. So Benton came back and he felt isolated and he situated his home out in the woods. He became known as Doc Benton. So um, unfortunately, one night uh, something bad happened to Doc Benton there was this vague sort of event that um, that happened. A family member died or uh, a love died. You know, you take your pick on, the, on that one. After he had this tragedy, he went home and refused to leave his home. And he became, like, known for doing gruesome experiments in his cabin. So um, <laughs> he was sort of responsible Yikes. for a couple of different deaths and things like this. And... Um, Apparently, there was like a, mon- a pneumonia that, uh, or a, f- a phenomenon that escalated, and there was a corpse involved. So there was bodies hidden in the town with the same mark behind them, and the, people got freaked out about bodies and dead bodies and things like that. So they took it to Doc Benson, hoping that um, he might offer some advice, but he went missing. A search party was looking for him, and they never found him. And then, lo and behold, Doc Benson roams the woods. And there's a few different other iterations of this tale, but you can yeah. check it out. We'll include the the links, and it, it takes a little bit of time. There's a whole podcast episode on Doc Benson, Benton, yeah. that we can talk about. I think my favorite story related to the Doc, the good doctor, is the story of the climbers going up Jobel Dunk. Uh, yes. ravine climbing up and a hand comes out of the rocks and pushes them off of the ledges <laughs> <laughs> oh holy moly yeah, yeah. that's spooky <laughs> it is there's a couple more we want you know we gotta we could press for time a little bit but lake of the clouds hot stomp yeah this is, is a neat one yeah, so you know, we all know that so many people have perished up uh, on Mount Washington and on the pre- on the presidentials in general. But there's uh, a presence up there. It's called the presence, and it's apparently the spirits of all these hikers sort of roam around the Lake of the Clouds hut, which is just south of uh, the summit of Mount Washington by about a mile and a half or so. So the presence circulates through the areas near the hut, staying inside the hut with visitors. <laughs> 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 One of the spookiest stories to come out of the hut involves an AMC member named George who was sent to open the hut at the beginning of the season. When he didn't return, a search party was sent and they found him hiding under a sink, terrified. He reported seeing a crowd of ghoulish faces. <laughs> Creepy. Good stuff, huh? I can tell you, I've... I spent the night at Lake of the Clouds, and I can tell you the only presence that's there is the smell of body odor. (laughs) (laughs) From all the hikers, all the stinky hikers. True. Um, And then the last spooky place is Madame Sherry's, which is known as the Stairway to Heaven. So this is a... I don't know where this is located. It's not quite a hike either. 
yeah, it did collapse. Yeah, West Chesterfield, New Hampshire. So, okay. um, it's a ruin site. So uh, this was a, like a fashion designer, Antoinette Delilis, known as Madame Cherie. Um, she owned a property where she used to entertain, and um, in the early 1900s, so it was like a summer home for her. And it burned down in 1962, leaving only the remains of stone arches, a basement foundations, and an amazing spiral staircase that ends abruptly. So this was known as the Stairway to Heaven. Unfortunately, this is um, it's it's succumbed to the elements and, and fell down. But it was a pretty cool, like double archway stairway that you could climb up that was inside the house. So, uh, but I guess it's gone now. But you can still go visit the ruins for the for the mansion. Hmm, and it. It's claimed that visitors uh, hear faint laughter or even a waltz music playing while touching the staircase, True. or the the pale specter of Madame Cherie gliding down the staircase. So interesting stuff. Stump, you so. should put like spooky music behind this entire segment. <laughs> <laughs> just light, just quietly. quietly. I'll do what I can. I know we did that for the first time. We had a Halloween show. Yeah, but we're, we're so grown up and mature now. True. Yeah, I'll link that old show where we did a deeper dive, and I think I did a better job <clears throat> with Doc Benton on that one. But uh, there's a bunch of other haunted places in New Hampshire oh, yeah. that we'll link to. So, uh, happy Halloween, everybody, and um, stay safe and. If you see any kids out egging, chase them down. Give them candy. Right. Give them candy. Take, take, take the their eggs. eggs away. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hard boil them. They're healthy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. And um, I think we're going to wrap up with some search and rescue. But uh, first, do you have a sweat problem? Sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news slasher for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem. Valcluse's ultralight ventilation backpack frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack size 15 liters to 65 liters and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over three ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, through the Ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit ValcluseGear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER to enjoy a $5 discount. Let them know that Mike and Stom sent you. And at the moment, they're um, doing some... Uh, questionnaires with free t-shirts if you just send in uh, responses to a survey they will send you a nice t-shirt so that's pretty cool Very good, Stomp. Very good. So the uh, next segment here is recent search and rescue news. So this first story brings us out to Mount Whitney, which I believe is out in California and is the highest mountain in the lower 48. Uh, so this happened on... Thursday, October 17th, I believe, a missing hiker on Mount Whitney was found deceased, apparently having fallen about a thousand feet. So, Christina, have you ever hiked Mount Whitney? Not yet. It's on the list. It's on the list. Okay. 
Um, so this gentleman, Tom Gerbier, had set out on a solo day trip to the summit on Tuesday, October, Tuesday, October 17th. He was reported overdue the following day. On Thursday, a team of ground searchers saw evidence that a hiker had fallen in the area known as the Notch. A uh, National Park Service helicopter was sent there, and the crew discovered the body. It was recovered and transferred to the Tulare County Sheriff's Office, which confirmed the identity of the hiker. Um, so he was a French national. He was a pilot for the Air Force. He had been on the airline's uh, Paris to Los Angeles flight on Monday and had driven directly to the Lone Pine area for an early start. So he was on a mission. So he was scheduled for the crew of a return flight. So he, I guess he flew commercially, um, but he, he didn't make it back, obviously. So he had a hiking permit that indicated he planned to reach Whitney's 14,500-foot summit by the Mountaineers route, which is shorter in mileage, but steeper and more challenging than the, than the actual trail. So he fell around 14,000 feet of elevation, um, and I guess it was the start of the most difficult section, which is rated a class three, meaning it requires use of hands as well as feet. So kind of like our version of Huntington Ravine, but probably bigger, I would guess. Yeah, sounds about right. Yep. So <coughs> that's a me. sad story. That's awful. Okay. Yeah. And then Stomp, speaking of Huntington Ravine, uh, mm -hmm. just going local, let's get into this one here. So yeah. For listeners that aren't familiar with Huntington Ravine, so Huntington Ravine is the it's one of the ravines on Mount Washington. So I believe that it is in the eastern part of the mountain, if I'm correct. So you've got Huntington, then um, Tuckerman is more to the southeast, and then you've got um, Amanusik Ravine. You've got the Great Gulf. Um, the dry river. So uh, Huntington is known as the steepest section of the ravines that, that you can climb Mount Washington. So you leave from Pinkham Notch and then you would start on Tuckerman Ravine Trail and then cut over to Huntington Ravine. It's probably about a mile and a half or so from Tuckerman to get to the ravine floor. That section, that's a mile and a half you have to go across a couple of different river stream crossings and up a number of different narrow sections of trail that are um, difficult to traverse, a lot of rocks, a lot of roots. And then when you get into the ravine floor, it's tough to navigate to find the actual trail itself. And there's a huge boulder um, field that you have to kind of go up, under, and around on. So it's it's a project just to get in there. Mm -hmm. So this particular rescue happened on Tuesday, October 17th, around 5.20 in the afternoon. Fishing game were notified of an injured hiker on the steep section of the Huntington Ravine Trail, approximately 1,200 feet below the junction with Alpine Garden Trail. So about halfway up the the, the face of the, the head wall, I would say. So this is a location known as the fan, which is, I don't know, what do you think? It's like two, 300 feet of like pretty much steep it's, yeah. climbing. Yeah. So, yeah, so right. the fan, it's like, it, it's 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 just clean ledge. There's not a lot of like um, rock holds or anything. It's just you're sort of going up at maybe a 45 degree angle and you just have to have grippy shoes and just head right up. There's a there's a crevice that you can follow, 
but it doesn't give you much traction. So you just sort of have to send it up that that hundred foot section, and then there's another <laughs> hundred feet or so that you got to get up. So it looks like he, the lone hiker here, had fallen. Uh, he called nine one one because he had been injured and he suffered. I guess he fell, suffered an unknown leg and head injury. Um, at the time, the the weather in the ravine was 30 degrees with rain and a low cloud ceiling. So oh, yeah. this is not a section we want to be in when it's raining out. Right? So, Correct. No. no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. So, and Christine, how many times have you done Huntington? Um, a lot. I don't, yeah. <laughs> a few times a year, but yeah. like there's been times I've been terrified. If there's anything wet on that ledgy section, it's scary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I pick my days. Yeah, it's one of the few, I mean, there's a couple of, like, tri-pyramids, I do, there's a couple of, but there's a couple of sections where, like, you just have to sort of, like, keep faith that you, you've got a good grip and that you just want to, you don't want to hang around there, you just go. So yeah. it sounds like he probably was on that section, it was wet, cold, it was on the borderline probably between freezing and not freezing, yeah. and he probably hit a section that was probably slick and just went down, so... Um, so now this, what ends up happening is, so this hiker is 31 years old. He's from Oakland, California. You're, it's 530 in the afternoon. It's obviously going to be two and a half hours before you can get somebody there at the fastest period of time. So the hiker needs to sort of keep himself reasonably warm for a couple hours. Then you've got to get a rescue team with these conditions. There's no chance that a helicopter is going to going to get in there so the idea that you got to carry somebody out it's not just the head wall that you got to deal with when you clear the head wall and you get into the boulder field that section of trail from the bottom of huntington ravine's head wall to get to connect to tuckerman even if you cut across like the harvard cabin and use that like um whatever um sort of forest road like it's still not easy going no matter what you do Nope. I mean, look at that. Several hours for ropes and gear to yeah. be set up to ensure a safe descent. I mean, that's it's absolute nightmare. Even and getting in the story through here, that in and out of the holes in the rocks. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So a thirty-one year old. So this was so conservation officers, Mountain Rescue Services, Androscoggin Valley um, Search and Rescue, and Pemi Valley Search and Rescue responded. So several of the rescuers utilized the auto road to get to the top of Huntington Ravine, and then hiked at which this is insane to me as well because if it's thirty degrees and it's rainy and you've got to hike down Huntington, like that's probably going to take you just as much time to get down to him than it would if you start from Pinkham Notch because yeah. it's it's just so treacherous. But these guys are experts, so they probably use ropes and safety harnesses to get down there. But um, once they got onto the scene, the, the, the victim, they had to put him in a litter and carry him down the trail instead of trying to hoist him up. So they were thinking maybe they could hoist him up to the top and get him to the auto road, but they decided they had to bring him down. Um, yeah. And then at and the same time, people coming up that Tuckerman Ravine Trail to get to Huntington Ravine. Right. And when you say trail, you're talking boulder fields. <laughs> you're talking some of the roughest terrain around. Yeah, when you get when you get past, like, so you get that final river crossing where you got to go over the... Um, I don't even know what that is. That that's the uh, the the Peabody West Peabody or whatever it is, but you've got to get over that river crossing, and then 
it's a narrow sort of climb up you know roots and rocks and things like that and then you get into the sort of the boulder field section like this is the worst this is a disaster for them um super dangerous so, rescue yeah so they got to them around nine o'clock it took several hours to set up ropes and gear to ensure safe descent and after a herculean effort the rescue crew started carrying him down the trail around eleven fifteen. so this guy's sitting there for six hours uh injured and then throughout yep. the night and into early morning, they had 22 members of the carry crew struggling through the rough conditions of on and off rain showers, freezing temperatures, steep terrain, and boulder fields of the ravine. So it took seven hours of steady carrying. They finally made it to a waiting ATV parked on the Sherburn ski trail around 6.15. So I, I don't know if they even use those like forest roads that are near the harvard cabin or if they went down the bottom part of the huntington trail but this yeah. has got to be the most difficult rescue that i've seen in the white mountains yeah hands down yep in recent memory anyway yeah incredible so hats off to all the teams amazing yeah, absolute hero so they got him to an atv and slowly drove him down the uh the ski trail to the parking lot but this is like in the 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 fishing game release the huntington ravine trail is considered the toughest trail in the white mountain national forest and should not be attempted by anyone who does not have the experience skills and ability to rock climb and to utilize ropes harnesses and other technical gear signs have been posted at both the lower and upper entrances to this trail in an effort to dissuade casual hikers from attempting this hike so i feel like they're sort of signaling like hey th this guy should have known better yeah, we shall see. Yeah. Oh, in terms of like billable or something like that? Or? I don't know. We'll have to see yeah. what ends up happening on this one. But Yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, hats off to all the rescuers involved in this one because it's got to be the most difficult rescue I've, I've read in a long time. Yeah. Cool. All right, stop. I'm sick of talking. You want to do one of these? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> 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 I can smell the lasagna coming through the, the ceiling floorboards. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, what do you think? We want to do another one? Let's do uh, Arethusa Falls. Are you sure? Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Arethusa it is. So Hart's location. This is Wednesday, October 18th, shortly before 3 p.m. Fishing Game was notified of a hiker who was injured on the Arethusa Falls Trail. The hiker uh, was from Howell, Michigan. Um, they were hiking with two family members when she slipped and injured her ankle while returning from the falls. Um, unable to bear weight on the injured ankle, but she was unable... Oh, but was unable to... Oh, sorry, I'm trying to keep this private here, not mentioning any names. So members of the group also attempted to assist her down the trail. Ultimately, they realized they needed assistance and placed a call for help. So along with conservation officers, members of Bartlett Jackson Ambulance Service and Lakes Region Search and Rescue responded. Um, thankfully, the injured hike was about a mile from the trailhead, which is always handy. So they stabilized the injury, uh, placed the person in a litter, and carried her back to the trailhead, where she arrived shortly before 6 p.m. 
And uh, then they just go over uh, a nice little plug again for Lakes Region Search and Rescue, which, as we mentioned earlier, there's a nice fundraiser coming up for them on November 11th, Rescue Me 5K uh, in Lincoln. So check it out. How'd I do, Very Mike? Good. All right. I got one more here. So Mount Cube, stop. I feel like oh, Mount yeah. Cube has been a hot spot for rescues this year in particular. Sure I feel like this has got to be like the fifth or sixth rescue on Mount Cube. I've never done Cube. You have, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. It's a great uh, great area there. I've done uh, like a that whole section of the Appalachian Trail that comes across Mount Cube and stuff. So it's it's got a it's got two summits. It's like a the north summit. It's it's very sort of open summit. Yeah. Kind of like a um, Monadnock type of vibe to it. So it's yeah, I could see how it's slippery here. Yeah, okay. it's ledgy. That's it. So gotcha. this happened on Friday, October twentieth. Uh, injured hiker on the Cross Rivendell Trail on Mount Cube, uh, and this gets a lot of locals. So this is a fifty-two-year-old local hiker uh, that suffered non-life-threatening injuries, just slipping on wet rocks. She injured her leg. Rescue crews were able to respond. So call came in at two thirty. They get there around five thirty. It is a um, mix of conservation officers, Pemi Valley, and Upper Valley search and rescue teams, and then local fire personnel from Orford, Hanover, and Lyme. Yeah. So, pretty straightforward rescue there. But I do think, like, for whatever reason, Cube has been a hot spot lately. I do feel yeah. like I've seen that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's got to be like the fifth or sixth one this year. So, yeah. um, hmm. it's just ledgy and slippery. Spooky. Yes, and speaking of ledgy and slippery stomp, this last one here is an injured hiker assisted off a Mount Monadnock. So a 42-year-old hiker from Belmont was on the White Dot Trail. So this is like the main trail to get down. Shortly after reaching the summit, this hiker was hiking down the trail. So this is a... It's it's like a steep, ledgy section below the summit, so this person suffered a lower leg injury, and um, Monadnock Park staff responded to the old toll road to hike to the patient via the White Arrow Trail, and they were able to splint the injury, and they gave him crutches, and he was able to make it down on his own power with crutches, so oh. good for him. There you go. That's great. Yep. Nice work. Uh, and that... That does it for Search and Rescue Stomp. I did want to give a, a quick shout out for foliage. So we are at late foliage at this point. Uh, so I think if you're thinking about hiking, you want to think in terms of the bell naps. You want to think about the ossipes. Maybe the lower um, regions of the White Mountains, like the Sandwich Range, should be pretty good, right? Still in your neck of the woods, Stomp? Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, we're planning on doing uh, Mount Webster, Webster Slide, uh, which is over by Squam. So, yep. same idea. Yep, Squams, uh, Ossipes, Bell Naps, yeah. uh, Sandwich Range. I think that's where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. And then the white and stuff then, shows up. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then, Christina, you don't have foliage in Arizona, right? Um. No, we have cactuses and sunshine and flowers. Yeah, yeah. So, do you miss the foliage at all? Or are you used you, you? Well, the reason we came out early was for this race, and now I have COVID. So next year we're not coming out until after foliage. Okay, got that, it. That was the only reason we came out here early. Yeah, you missed it's all the hot. apple picking and all the fun stuff. Yeah, but I heard it still rained a bunch. So it did actually. It was, it was a rainy year. <laughs> next year, right. no rain. Well, right. a little bit. 
Yeah, well, um, in the land of no rain, Arizona, we'll, uh, we'll let everyone go. All right. <laughs> Have a good night, guys. Okay. Thank Peace. you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know they are? Lieutenant James Neeland of New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.